Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes, the premier podcast on hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. As a worldwide educator and developer of best-in-class hand therapy content, Susan Weiss, occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, brings you an array of hand therapy specialists, hand care solutions, and more. Thank you, everyone, for joining us at Hand Therapy Heroes. We have an awesome guest today, and she has an incredible story to share with you. I was acquainted with our guest, Courtney Runyon, from one of our brilliant colleagues, Allison Taylor, who was treating Courtney in her hand clinic. I immediately devoured Courtney's Facebook page to learn more about her case. I was intrigued with her smile and joyful spirit. Courtney inspires hundreds of thousands of people through social media. Her mission is to help people find the strength, gratitude, and faith they need to overcome chronic stress by letting go of the small stuff, appreciating the good things in life, and taking nothing for granted. I'm fascinated by how Courtney is able to look at each moment in her life as a gift. How many people do you know that can become a quadriplegic in less than a year in a progressive fashion and say that they're happy about that moment? I know one, Courtney. So what happened, everyone's asking now, right? After Courtney took a sabbatical from her corporate career to travel solo through 27 countries around the world, her beloved globetrotting was interrupted as she mysteriously lost the ability to move her arms and her legs. In January of 2017, she noticed her hands were getting numb. And by December 20th, 2017, she was paralyzed from the neck down. She even had trouble breathing, speaking, and swallowing. She was discharged from the hospital on December 20th and told there was nothing else that could be done. And all of the medical care that was provided had not been working. So with that introduction, I'd like to turn this over to Courtney to share with us what her diagnosis is and how she ended up seeing our colleague, Allison Taylor, for hand therapy. Courtney, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. This is so much fun. I, I get asked about my story all the time, and it's such a pleasure and honor to be doing it with you and also to a community of people that can truly understand you know, some of the things that I've been through and I'm talking about, whereas most of the time people, you know, are not in that world. It's not every day that you get paralyzed from the neck down at 33 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. So it sounds like a lot like Gillian Bray. And how did they diagnose you with what you, I've read now on your story is CIDP. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened from the numbness onset? What, what, what did they do to determine what was going on with you? Yes. So as you said, my initial symptoms were numbness in my thumb and in my leg. And then I remember telling my boyfriend at the time, one day I was like laughing saying, God, I feel like I, you know, I've heard when you get to your thirties, you just things start falling apart. I was like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I got weaker overnight. I need to go to the gym. And it was funny to me at the time, but I just kept getting weaker and weaker. And it took, you know, two months. My ankle started rolling when I was walking in high heels. And I was thinking, okay, something's 
wrong. So I went to the doctor and gosh, I didn't know it was such a pain to get into a neurologist. It's like, I tell everyone if they have a numb finger or something, they need to go, you know, at least make an appointment with a neurologist since it can take a while to get in and get your documentation from your general practitioner and whatever. But I started seeing a neurologist in March of 2017. My, the onset of my symptoms was January, 2017. So they, they tested me for MS and lupus and did all the blood work and did the, you know, started getting into the nerve conductions and the EMGs and all of these, you know, the MRI, my MRI was normal. And eventually the neurologist, after four months of test, he said he needed to refer me to a neuromuscular doctor because he doesn't treat what I have. And I get home that night and I Google neuromuscular doctor just to see like, okay, well, what kind of practice is that? Like, what do they specialize in? And my phone just filled up with ALS, ALS, ALS. And I was like, oh my gosh, awesome, awesome. I'm being sent to an ALS specialist. So I just like put my phone down and went to sleep that night and went to that doctor and he did more nerve conduction, more EMGs. and we went through the Lyme diagnosis as well. And then it came down to, okay, you either have, because for my diagnosis, which is chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, it's, it has a slower on a uh, slower decline or progression or everyone say there, but there's no test for it. So it's process of elimination and it gets down to either autoimmune which is CIDP, what I have, or ALS. And it was, it was, it came down to a spinal tap. So if the proteins of my spinal tap were elevated, then it, it was autoimmune. If they showed normal, then it was ALS. And fortunately for me, it was autoimmune. autoimmune. But CIDP, my diagnosis is the chronic form of Guillain-Barre, which more people are familiar with. What is the cause of CIDP? Do they have an actual reason why someone gets CIDP? Right. And that's one of the first things I get asked a lot. And obviously I'm not a doctor, although whenever you get these kinds of health, chronic health conditions, you seem to become your own kind of doctor. But no, they, they don't know the exact cause of autoimmune. My personal belief is because autoimmune is either what's caused it is so different from person to person. So how could they give it a blanket cause? But for Guillain-Barre or CIDP, both of them in 90, this, that's from my own personal experience talking to people. It's not a stat I read, but it seems like, you know, 90 something percent of the people I talk to, which I talk to a lot, have some, something that triggered, you know, they can trace it back and that's what triggered the condition. For me, mine was triggered by stress. I had a really stressful two weeks. It was super lame. You know, if I, if I told you I'd be, why I was so stressed out, I'd be embarrassed, which I, which I not ashamed to be embarrassed, <laughs> but <laughs> I, especially at this point, after all the flopping around, I've been doing the past couple of years with the paralysis. Um, but I had a really stressful two weeks and then my symptoms started shortly after. I would say the more common cause of CIDP or Guillain-Barre out of the people I've, I've spoken with is either a vaccination, a flu shot, or a viral infection seem to be the on, what causes the onset for 
I can't even say majority, but that's the most common mm-hmm. of the, all of the random reasons I hear. But when they said at this point, you know, as you mentioned, December, your date of December 20th, 2017 being we're done. What happens at that point? What do you do? You're discharged and you don't have any more benefits and you're done. What happened? Yeah. Oh my gosh, girl. I mean, there was two kind of crazy moments in there. There was December 20th, but before that I got diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic in September of 2017. And I was still walking at that time, but my, my arms were totally paralyzed. They were, you know, just dangling at my sides, but I got diagnosed and I thought, okay, we know what it is. They started me on immunoglobulin, IVIG. And I said, okay, we're, we caught it. We know what it is. I hit my bottom. Nope. IVIG did not work. Uh, which I've kind of found out since then about 60 to 75% of patients, IVIG does work for CIDP. The other, the rest of us, it doesn't. And the Mayo Clinic, I, something else to note is that's the standard treatment protocol for my diagnosis with insurance is you have to do the IVIG first before insurance will allow like a plasma phoresis or some other treatment. So the Mayo Clinic kept saying, no, just give it time, give it time. So in for three months, they told me, give it three months and it should work. In those three months, I went from walking with paralyzed arms to completely paralyzed from the neck down and the hospital here at UT Southwestern in Dallas. And then that's the day you're talking about on December 20th, I got released. They had done plasma phoresis, five rounds. They did five rounds of steroids and five round, more rounds of IVIG, but I was not responding. In fact, my neurologist told me that They'd never seen, you know, they didn't even know if I was diagnosed accurately because I was so resistant to treatment and that I had the worst case they'd ever seen. And since then being involved in support groups and stuff like that, I have learned that I had one of the most severe cases in the country. So on December 28th, they said, look, like we, we've done every test. We've given you every treatment that we can give you in the hospital at this time. And you're not responding. We can't just keep you here to look like, please, I can't just keep you here and stare at you. Like, there's nothing else we can do. So, yeah, I was released from the hospital, not knowing whether I was going to get worse. You know, I was having trouble breathing, swallowing, or if I was going to get better. And fortunately, about two or three days after I got home from the hospital, I started improving. And I, I know the exact date is December 23rd, and that's because it was on my dad's birthday. So I saw the first signs of movement in one of my arms uh, for the, you know, after declining for 12 months. So from there, you know, a whole lot has happened, <laughs> but that's whatever. I just waited till I got enough movement to give these, you know, you, the therapists are such angels, you know, you guys are amazing, amazing human beings, but I had to get a little bit enough movement to give you a little bit something to work with. So for about a month, I just literally just kind of laid there trying to, wait for my nerves to wake up enough to get into a rehab hospital. So in that month you were with your family and they were just 100% caregivers for you. You didn't have therapy at home or anything. No. Yeah. And that's, that's the tough thing about my situation. And I'm one of the lucky ones because I have a really, really phenomenal family and I have good insurance. But even with that, it's like, I'm fiercely independent. You know, I've, went backpacking around the world. I, you know, I've always taken care of myself. And when I started to need help, I was excited that my insurance would pay for me to go to a nursing home and a rehab facility. 
I was like, I'm, I refused to be someone else's responsibility. You know, I think a lot of people who have been in my situation can relate to that, that you don't want to have to have a family or a family member, sorry, a family member or a friend have to wipe you when you go to the bathroom or dress you or be inconvenienced. That's like a big feeling is you don't want to feel like a burden or inconvenience on anyone. And so I was like, you know, my insurance will pay me for me to be in a nursing home. I got this. I'm going to get treatment. I'm going to work hard. It'll be okay. But when I kept declining after I had my diagnosis at the Mayo, insurance would not pay for me to stay in a nursing home because I was declining. So I got released with, with nowhere to go. Well, I had somewhere to go, but I'm one of the lucky ones. It's like you, they, you are not offered an alternate option. It's, I'm sorry, you can't stay here. Figure it out. So you have to find somewhere to go, find someone to take care of you, find someone to pick you up and put you on the toilet when you need to go. You know, financially, they don't offer you a caretaker for the home. I think, I think they will send you someone to bathe you like once or twice a week for like an hour. But besides that, you know, it's like you are forced to become someone's full-time responsibility. I don't, I don't know what someone does if they don't have somewhere to go. So well, how much improvement did you have to show to be then allowed back in? And when were you admitted to a facility and what type of facility? And, and when did you start more of your care with hand and upper extremity therapists? Right. Oh my gosh, you said that. I'm just realizing now I, I, I haven't even said that I've gotten better. Uh, <laughs> not to ruin the ending of this story, but I can walk, which is super cool. I really like walking. I, I always joke that I don't know why I gave up walking for so long. I really liked it. I was, I was in a wheelchair for seven months, unable to stand or walk. And my arms and hands were affected more than my legs. Okay. So that was just for, the full, for not being able to function with legs or arms. I know that as therapists, sometimes when you're working with someone's arms, you can kind of modify or figure out stuff to do with the legs and vice versa. You know, I have therapists that try to have me do exercises, you know, for my legs, but I need my arms to do them. It's just like I was seven months in a wheelchair without being able to do a whole lot anyways. So, but as far as my arms and hands go, I still needed someone to come to the bathroom with me for over a year to help me take my pants down and wipe me for a little over a year. So my arms and hands were definitely affected more, but so I, after the hospital, when I was discharged, you know, they said, see you later. We can't do anything else. I was at home for a month and a half, you know, just waiting for enough nerves to wake up, to be able to rehab. And then I was admitted into a rehab hospital for three weeks, a, an acute rehab hospital at UT Southwestern. And it was awesome. I loved the people there and they did a killer job, but man, is it hard. It is, you know what? It is so, I was, it was so hard for me to stand up. I was straining so hard. I actually peed on people because I was straining so hard to stand up. It's hard. Um, but so then I was at the rehab hospital for three weeks. And then from there, I went to a nursing home for, uh, 50 days, okay. 50 minutes. So 76 days total and about three days before I was released from the nursing home after 76 days, 
three days before I started walking for the first time without a walker. And about two days before that, I learned to stand up out of my wheelchair by myself. So I got released out of there. Just, you know, I learned how to walk just in the nick of time. But my man, my first night home, because I was just like a, what is it? A baby giraffe. My first night home from the nursing home, I fell a bad fall and got back in the wheelchair for a couple of days. And that was just heartbreaking. I, when you're in my situation, when you fall, at least for me, but I don't think I'm alone on this. It's really emotional that the injury to your emotions is worse than the injury to your body, which also hurts. But it's just such a disappointment because you're so encouraged. Like, oh, I'm on my feet. I'm standing. I'm walking. I'm walking further. Like things are looking up. And when you fall, it's just a a fall in every way. It's a setback. It's a disappointment. It's a hurts your ego. It's a it, it puts fear into you to to keep going forward because you might get hurt. It's just heartbreaking. But that happened my first night at home, and I was so upset. My dad. I just had my forehead on the floor. It's, uh, it's hard even, but I just had my, my forehead on the floor and I wouldn't even look up at my dad. He was like, baby, baby. And I wouldn't even look up at him because I just, I just almost like, I didn't want to acknowledge what just happened. Right. It but, sounds like you might've felt like you were disappointing him as much as yourself. Yeah. I mean, Yeah. Because you were so proud of your accomplishments, and then it was almost like, okay, you're walking, you're walking. Okay, now you're not. So yeah, and I, di- I didn't want to see the look on someone's face of like, are you okay? Or, oh my gosh, that was a bad fall. Or, you know, when you're when you're sick, and this this is not for everyone. This is my mindset and some other people. But when you're sick, like you still feel the same on the inside. Like you still feel like the same person. It's just your vehicle, your body, to experience this beautiful life. You can't experience it in the same way because your vehicle is not functioning optimally, but you still feel the same inside. So, you know, over time, it's like, you just want to be looked at and treated like who you are on the inside. You know, you don't want to be treated like you're crippled or like you can't handle yourself or like you're disabled or like you're less than what you really feel like on the inside. So I think some of that too is, you know, I didn't want to look up and see my dad looking at me like I was, you know, crippled on the floor, which I was. But But you really weren't in the sense that you knew that that was just that moment because your strength was already there to, to get yourself back in the position of standing up again. It was just that momentary lapse. So yeah, you had that internal strength knowing that you were moving forward. Like, I, I don't think based on our discussion that there was ever a moment, even the day they discharged you and said, there's nothing more you can do that you lost sight of the fact that you were going to get recovered. No, never. I've had this unshakable certainty that I'll make a full recovery. And I think some of that stems from, well, one, I want to, but two, I just love my life. I love, I, but I've been very careful. It, and it, it does take a, an awareness 
I've been very careful to still love where I'm at right now on my way to where I'm going. I don't want to lose years of my life wishing them away or rushing through them or not appreciating them because they're different than other years I've already done. But all of our years from now and then and later are going to be different than they are today. And I, I, I don't, and like they were in the past, I don't, I want to be careful that I don't um, waste this time. I want to be happy and I love my life, but I know that I'll make a full recovery because I, there's so many things I want to do with my life that I have to and know I will because that's the future I want. <laughs> you live each day to the fullest and you appreciate where you are right then. And so many people, like, I, they live their life and, you know, I'm included in that and, and many times have, I can't wait until I do this. I can't wait until I do that. And, and you forget about what you're doing right now. I can't wait until my kids are four. I can't wait until they're 10. I can't wait till they're out of school. So you, when you wish away your life, then you miss your life. And I think that the fact that you were able to smile, I mean, when people go through and they look at some of your posts and go back, they're going to be shocked. (laughs) It's hard to find a post where you're not smiling. Even even if you're crying, you're smiling. And and that means so much to understand that you, you take that moment and you turn whatever it is into that moment. That's your life and that's your life to live right at that moment. So you want to teach others how they can be happy even if they're paralyzed as a quadriplegic, because you were. Yeah, I talked to so many people. I mean, so many people, like all day, not all day, every day. That's super dramatic of me. But I talk to people every day about they're just going through their own hardships. And I hear the phrase constantly, I just want to get my life back. And I get it. I do, because there's things that I miss that I could do before that I can't now. So like, it's not like people say that and I think, what do you mean? I don't get it. Like, I totally get it. But I hear that phrase so much. And the thing is about that is you, your life didn't go anywhere. Like this is your life. Like you're living your life right now. In fact, what you're doing right now and today is more your life than anything you've ever done because it's happening right now. So when you say get my life back, that like who you were, what you've done, that's gone. Like, that's not something you get back. And you don't, why would anyone want to live in the same year over and over again, like Groundhog Day? And Groundhog Day. Anyways, I'll get super boring. <clears throat> it's just like, this is life. The things that happen, the things that change, that is your life. And yeah, so get your life back, eh, get it. But <clears throat> you have your life in front of you right now. And to keep living in the past, you're going to miss so many cool things about what's going on right in front of you. Like I said this example the other day <clears throat> and like every phase of life has an opportunity. And <clears throat> when I was in the wheelchair, I had an opportunity that I don't have now because I'm walking. It's like, I would put on wigs and costumes and I would just look like super ridiculous. I had this fanny pack and I would blare that at Bob Marley's song, uh, stand up because I couldn't stand up and I would dance around and I would see people's reaction. Like this old lady in the nursing home, oh my God, it cracked me up. I walked, walked in, ha ha. I rolled in, in my wheelchair and 
I hear that I hear her look at her therapist and she's like, did you see the girl in the, with the green hair? And I was just like, I'm right here. I can hear you. But it was so funny. And that's something that I could only do in that moment of time. You know, I, I, unless I faked being in a wheelchair, I guess now that would be really <laughs> crappy. But that was something that I could only do then is show is roll around in a costume in a wheelchair and see people's reaction. And it cracked me up and it made me feel good. It made me love who I was, you know, at a time that I could have easily lost who I was by seeing the look on people's face of confusion of why is that girl so happy and why is she dressed up? Is it her birthday? And making them laugh made me laugh. I'll never get an, I hope I never get that opportunity again because I don't want to be in a wheelchair again, but, but there's just certain things that you can do at every stage of life to make yourself happy and give yourself joy and make yourself proud of who you are that you can only do in that period of time that you can't do in that life you're wishing you got back or whatever, but. Yeah, you turn misfortune into fortune because you see opportunities in everything. Yeah. Yeah, because that makes me happy. I, one of the guys at my gym where I work out of, which when I first started working out there, God, my dad went with me and I walked from machine to machine on my walker. And then I would sit down and then my dad would have to pick me up off the weight machine. This is at LA Fitness. I'm surrounded by like, you know, beef beefy dudes I'm just like "Uh." um but yeah the this guy at the gym asked me one time he said he was like guy you know I see you and you're smiling he's like I'm he's like do you listen to meditations like like what is it that that why are you happy basically he's saying and I didn't really know how to answer him so I was I was just like you know what I just think I like the way being happy feels like I would just rather do that than like not be because it's just a state of mind. Yeah, that's it. That's a wonderful message. I'm so glad you shared with our listeners and I'm sure they're going to share with their patients. I I do want to ask you a couple more questions on our podcast and what, what we'll do at the end of this is, I'm going to put in our show notes that we're going to have a second portion of this. It'll be an actual short course that people can access where we're going to be able to see you doing some of your fun stuff, as you like to call tricks, (laughs) because you've really learned some adaptations that are really awesome and that we as hand and upper extremity therapists and occupational therapists don't think about. And I noticed that you didn't have any orthotics on and you don't use any adaptive equipment. So with regards to that, um, and I know we're going to discuss it more in our, our segment that we're going to be able to see you. What was your rationale for not wanting to utilize those types of devices and supports? Well, I have an answer to that. Wonderful. <laughs> so there's, there's two parts. Two, I have two answers to that question. The first is more of a mindset answer. The other one's practical. But the first is, I always knew this would be temporary. I, I, wanted, I always wanted to heal as quick as I can, which is one of my lessons from this experience is patience. But I just knew it was temporary and I never wanted to act like or make decisions based on it not being a short-term thing, like driving a car, getting adaptive equipment, 
I, I still haven't and won't because I'm like, I don't want to settle in that I need adaptive equipment to drive because I'm going to, instead of driving adaptive equipment today, I will drive in one month from now without it when I'm better. And that one month turned into another month and turned into another month. But that was my, but I can drive now. But that was always my mindset is I'm not getting adaptive equipment equipment because I'll be able to do that very soon without it. And I just kept that mindset. The second part of that is when your hands don't work, you can't really set yourself up with adaptive equipment. Like I couldn't, people say, oh, well, why don't you use one of these? And I'm like, sure. Every time I use that, I'm going to have to get my mom or my dad to set me up one that takes time. So that's, yeah, I'm already, things take so long anyways, but two, like, I just don't want to need people all the time. Like, I just want to be able to do things myself. So to get things set up, if, if I need anyone to help me set something up, I don't want it. I, I just want to figure out a way I can do it by myself. So, and then the other, I guess, kind of like in that same, that same thing is I, yeah, I just want to be able to go about my day like a normal person without having to stop and make myself adapt, use equipment to help me be normal. I just want to just have, you know, maybe I'm just like a little tree hugger hippie. I just want to have my my body do the work. I don't want to have to need stuff to do things anyways. That would be my answer. Yeah, that's wonderful. I I had a feeling it was a lot related to that, but I was curious because it's so easy for us as therapists to see, you know, when, when we do the second part of this, where we have our video, the therapist will see that your hands are, you know, held in the in an intrinsic minus position and you just yeah. want to like I just want to fix it and I want to put you <laughs> in an orthotic and I want to you know give you some wrist support it just to make it easier so it's our natural tendency as therapists to want to apply devices and yeah. and orthotics so I was you know curious as to your mindset with regards to that so going to a, another question that I think is important for therapists to know is what's one thing you could share with the therapist listening or, or their patients that would help them with their relationships with their patients? Easy. I also have a really good answer for that immediately because I have a lot of emotion behind this. So I, I had this conversation with Allison and, you know, I think, so I don't, me personally, I don't have a lot of tolerance when people talk to me, like I won't make a full recovery. And I understand that you can't lie to your patient and you can't promise things you can't promise, but you can word things, you know, in a way that is encouraging and positive and upbeat. And unless you've been sick before, which gosh, I hope none of you have and never will, but unless you've been sick before, you really don't understand the impact that what a therapist or a doctor says has on that person. I mean, they take it as gospel. I, I don't, but a lot of people do, and I can see how it's easy to. But when let's to give you an example, when a therapist says, you know, oh, I I see I came with you an example. I'll go a different route. So I have people ask me all the time, constantly, friends, family, strangers that ask me what's going on with my hands. 
They say, well, what do the doctors say? What does the therapist say? And you regurgitate what they told you. If you're giving negative affirmations into that patient's mouth, they repeat it over and over and over again. You might say something casually and not mean anything of it. Like, for example, I had this one therapist tell me when I was in the wheelchair, no, I think you'll probably walk again. That, that seems positive. Not to me. I'm like, you think I'll probably walk again. I asked for a new therapist. I was like, if someone thinks, if someone's going to tell me they think I probably have a good chance, like I want someone that says, you know what, I believe in you. And I think that anything's possible and I can tell you're strong and we're going to get through this together. And I'm going to be with you until the end. And you're powerful. Miracles happen. And then I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. And don't, you know, I want that therapist. So I, I think that it's just like, it's, you see patients all day long and you see things that suck and people fail. And so it's easy to be very clinical and very matter of fact, but that patient needs you. They need you to be on their side, believing in them with every ounce because what you say becomes their gospel because they believe in what you say more than their own thoughts. If you tell them you believe in them, they'll believe in themselves. If you tell them, yeah, you know, sometimes this gets better. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, we'll see. Then that will just, they will, you have no idea how much that will hinder their progress. It becomes a crutch. You know, I, I've told therapists that I've counseled over the years. It's, it's not as much what you're doing in the clinic as what you're saying. And they're like, what do you mean? I need to learn all these cool things and I need to learn this and I need to learn that. I'm like, no, you need to know what to say to people because it's what you say that makes the huge impact on people. I mean, the power of positive thinking, it's, it's brilliant. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, you can say things like, Allison says to me all the time, I mean, I'm just, I'm so in love with my, my hand therapist I've got right now, but she says things all the time like, wow, that looks great. You know, even if maybe it looks like I've declined, which I haven't, but maybe it has, she can still say, wow, that looks great without telling a lie or misleading. She's just putting positive where the patient looks at their hand and thinks it does. Because when you are sick like that and you've had, you've lost life as you know it, you are so fragile and your emotions and your thoughts and your motivation are so fragile. So when you hear your therapist say, that looks great. You look at your hand, you think it does. It's almost like, you want to cry when a therapist says that, like, it does. Are you sure it looks great? So then you look at your hand and start thinking, you know what? Maybe it is getting better. And maybe it does look great. And when you talk to your body like that and you start believing you're improving, you improve. It's right. magical. So the therapist gives the ability to validate what you want to hear as well, which is the positive energy and vibes that are going to set your body yeah. to heal. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. And I know it's not an easy job that you therapists have, but you're miracle workers. And, you know, there's so many people that just need you so much. So many patients and therapists will benefit from what you've shared today. How can patients and therapists connect with you or follow your story? Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, that's been something so therapeutic for me and my whole experience is. I started by 
you know, typing on my phone with my nose to share. And then I started making videos and it's been very therapeutic. Unfortunately, you know, I get, I get daily messages from people that said that my, by me sharing my story, they've, it's really helped them in their own, you know, with their own demons or their own challenges. So it's been really cool. I'm super old school. I'm a Facebooker. I know that's like not cool of the younger folks anymore, but I love Facebook. So I have a Facebook page called Unicort, which is spelled U-N-I-C-O-R-T. It came from, because I had a unicorn shindig going on, like a, you know, super rare situation. And then my name's Courtney. So that's where the Unicort thing came from. So that, I, I post a lot there. Wonderful. And I've got a YouTube and Instagram and stuff, but that's my my main source. And I, you can Facebook message me if you if you want to. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm going to wrap this up unless you have one last thing. And I'd love for you to share one last thing that I didn't get to ask you that you really want to share in this. And then, I'm, as I said, I'm going to have the second session where the people are we're going to reconvene this in, in video format so they're going to be able to to see some stuff and learn some more of your adaptive techniques you you've baffled me with and I've been amazed watching <laughs> videos and I, I could spend hours just going through them so I'm super excited to, to share some of that is there anything else that you want to share right now with our listeners that might not be able to catch up with the videos later uh no I mean I just really believe in the what we had already just talked about, about how, you know, in therapy with your patients, you know, what your te- the strength training you're doing with them and the adaptive things and all of that is, is great, but it's, I think really undervalued the value of what you say. So we, I mean, we already said that, but I, no, I, I love that, that. that really is my biggest message because I see, I I have a strong mindset, fortunately, and I credit my parents for that. But unfortunately, some people don't. And really what their therapist says just affects them so deeply. So you have such a a gift and a power to be able to really improve someone's way of life and their way of thinking by what you say. So I think that's just a huge part of therapy in itself. And I have a, I have a personal trainer that, that is wonderful. And he says things like, so my, my right arm is my, what am I saying? My left arm is my weaker arm. So he'll say things like, I'll be like, Oh, my weak arm. He'll go, your other strong arm. He like puts words in my mouth to help with the, the positive affirmations. And I think that's just such a, a benefit that you can give your, your patients by giving them new stories to tell That's and really positive stories. I love that. I, I absolutely um, cherish this time that we've had here. And I'm very thankful that you spent your time sharing your story, the beginning of your story, since it's just kind of started and your adventures and I am super excited to, to keep following you. And I know you've already started your traveling again. I look forward, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that in our, our next session. And yeah. I, I, I can't wait to read your book and you know, <laughs> you'd be available for people that, to bring into their centers so that you can be insp- inspirational speakers mm-hmm. for 
all this stuff. And, you know, you're, you're a wonderful human and I'm so honored to, to meet you. Thank you so much. Oh, oh my gosh. Same. And this is super fun. And thank you. It's, I mean, with your book and everything and what you're doing in your podcast, like people like me need you so bad. I can't even imagine the impact you've had just by helping this therapist and that therapist and thousands of therapists. And then the people they've touched by what you're teaching and giving an avenue to make things easier and better and help people learn quicker. I mean, that is a huge freaking deal. So thank you for what you're doing so much. Thank you, Courtney. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. right, Bye-bye. As promised, we have a wonderful free gift for our listeners. To view the video session we had with Courtney and also receive 1.5 free AOTA hours, please go to liveconferences.com. That's L-I-V-E-C-O-N-F-E-R-E-N-C-E-S.com. Then search for the course, Learn and Earn nine, love the life you are living. When you go to check out, enter the code Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. That's C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y at the checkout cart and the course is yours for free. Thanks again for being a valuable listener. Thank you for listening to Hand Therapy Heroes. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Visit handtherapy.com and register for our newsletter containing free content and courses about our fascinating hands. Hold hands today for a more functional tomorrow.